Hello and welcome to the Do One Better podcast in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Alberto Ligi from London. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find the show as well. Today's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto the show Vicky Fox, Chief Executive Officer of the UK Supreme Court. That's right, Chief Executive Officer of the UK Supreme Court. I did not know that post existed. Most people I know did not know that post existed. And yet here we are. We're going to be learning from Vicky about the work she does, leading a wonderful organization, and also looking at a side of the UK Supreme Court that many people did not know existed. Community outreach, education programs, diversity, accessibility, transparency, even visiting the building itself. So we're in for a treat today, and without further ado, a big heartfelt welcome onto the Do One Better podcast today. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really pleased to be here. Well, it's such a pleasure to have you on the show, to see you again, and also, who knew that the UK Supreme Court has a chief executive officer? I mean, fascinating stuff. I certainly did not know about it, so why don't we start finding out a little bit about that? What's it all about? Chief Executive Officer of the, of the UK Supreme Court? Well, I have to say, I think it is one of the best jobs that you could ever have. I, I've i been Chief Exec of the Supreme Court for nearly three years now. I started in the midst of the pandemic and I absolutely love what I do. And it's a great privilege and honour to work for the Supreme Court. And the role is, the role is relatively new um, because the Supreme Court was only established in 2009. Prior to that, it was a committee of the House of Lords. Um, but in 2005, the Constitutional Reform Act was passed. And in 2009, the court was set up. And, and it was really about modernising our constitution and making it really visibly clear the separation of powers between government, parliament and the judiciary. So it establishes beyond all doubt in a very visible way that the judiciary is entirely independent of government and parliament. And one of the huge benefits of us, uh, the Supreme Court being created is it has its separate own building on Parliament Square. So um, opposite Parliament, in fact, is that it's become much more accessible. It's a public building. Anyone can walk in off the street. Uh, they can um, go to our exhibition centre, they can go to our cafe, which is fantastic, and they can watch cases live. And um, and certainly prior to the pandemic, we would have around 100,000 visitors a year. Wow. And we're building back up now, um, but we haven't quite reached those levels. And I think most people don't realise that it is a public building mm -hmm. that you you can just walk in. Because in the U.S., you know, you know, if you're showing, if you're visiting Washington D.C., you know that that's one of the things to go visit the the U.S. Supreme Court. Not so much so with the U.K. So it's great to hear that that is indeed a possibility. Yes, and um, and we run tours as well, and we we run tours for children, for adults. We do sign tours for people that are deaf. So we, you know, we have a whole range of activities that go on in the court. And I think you're right. Although we do have a lot of visitors, not many people know that. Right. And, 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 and it's not that the UK is particular in having a chief executive, right? There's other uh, countries where the Supreme Court has this a counterpart to you in other countries. 
Yes, and in fact, um, we the, the court does a huge amount of international work, and I've met my counterparts in the US, in Canada, um, in France, in Germany. You know, there are there because behind the court there sits an administration, I and mean, we're a very small. Um, non-ministerial government departments, so it's civil servants that support the judiciary. And there's around 55 of us um, that work for the justices. And and yes, there are there are our counterparts across the world. That's how that's how modern courts are run nowadays. And and part of becoming a separate Supreme Court has given us that scope to do far more than clearly the most important part of the court's role is to hear appeals um, and they decide cases of you know the most um, most public importance so where there's an arguable point of law about public importance that's the role of the court but we are able to be very transparent, very accessible and run education outreach as well. And that's something that the justices themselves are very committed to. Amazing. Really fascinating stuff. What, what are the, the things that keep you busy in a day to day? What's your day look like? And what, what and I don't know, are there targets? Are there ambitions? Give us a little bit of insight into your world. Well, I am um, in charge of all the non-judicial functions of the court. So I'm responsible for the administration of the court. Uh, some of that is how do you run a court effectively and efficiently? You know, the life cycle of a case from the moment it, it enters our doors to the moment it leads. How do we make that a good, efficient experience for our court users? I'm in charge of a listed building, so how do we how do we look after our building, make it accessible to the public? We do a huge amount of international work, so we have a lot of incoming visits. Um, justices also go out across the world to meet with their counterparts. You know, one of my responsibilities is also maintaining good relationships with government and parliament, which is an absolutely fascinating part of the role because the the Supreme Court plays a small part in the Constitution of the UK, um, small but important, because part of its role is ensuring that the laws passed by Parliament are obeyed. You know, that's part of the rule of law. Some of that is judicial review. It's where public bodies, um, their decisions might be appealed. And, and you know, but we cover a broad area of law as well. So. I have, I have this fantastic range of work and I'm really passionate about the education outreach that we're a transparent court. All our cases are live streamed and, you know, we have about half a million people will watch them online over any given year. Uh, we've had, in the last 12 months, we've had about 5,000 students come through our doors and engage with us. And I just love being part of that. And our vision is to be a world leading court so all of those are our priorities and diversity and inclusion. Yeah. I'd love to find out more about the education angle, the outreach, uh, making sure that there is transparency, that things are accessible. So on the um, transparency, as I mentioned, all our cases are live streamed. So you can watch them anywhere around the world. And the Supreme Court is also the judiciary Judicial Committee of the Privy Council. So it is the final court of appeal for a number of Commonwealth countries. And therefore, being sort of digitally accessible make, becomes even more important. So you can watch a case from anywhere in the world. Everything is live streamed. Our judgments are published on our website. So if people want to know how a case has been decided, 
um, it's there. And we also provide summaries, sort of plain English summaries. So if you're not at ease with the, some of the complex legal language, and I'm certainly not, there are summaries so that people can understand how it might, our case decision might apply to them. And on our website, we have a range of materials um, that anyone can dip into. Education, we run that from secondary school up to university, and we run a number of programs. One of our most popular programs, and I've listened in on a couple and done one or two myself, is called Ask a Justice. And that's where a justice shows up in a classroom virtually and answers questions for an hour from the students. And the questions are brilliant. You know, they're thoughtful, they're challenging, they're, you know, sometimes they're provocative about the role of justices. And it's absolutely fascinating, you know, to listen to the answers and to see, you know, quite often they're politics students at school engaging with justices and this really positive touch point with the law. We also run mooting competitions, so people come and argue cases and then if you reach the final of a competition then you get a justice to um to judge the case and that that's also very exciting for people and it's a lot of fun as well we run tours for schools um so particularly politics a level students law students they really enjoy it and they get to see the court in action and that's you know that's invaluable there's nothing like that sort of physicality of seeing the court um, and we, in, the justice often give lectures as well. So they'll go to universities, they'll visit um, universities across the UK. And the court has occasion, well, the court sat in Manchester for a week in March. And we, um, we ran a number of education programs there. We had three schools come into the court to meet the justices. Um, one of our justices went to the universities to judge moots. So we're very outward focused and very much trying to make the law accessible and attractive as a profession. Mm -hmm. And on that specific point, you know, making it accessible, making it attractive, and you want to make it accessible to everyone. You want to make it attractive to everyone, irrespective of their background, irrespective of social demographics or race or ethnicity or anything. Absolutely. How do you go about that? Well, we have as one of our strategic priorities is to work on diversity and inclusion. I think it's fair to say at the moment that the judiciary is not entirely reflective of the society that it serves. And if you think back only over just over 100 years ago, it was only in 1919 that an Act of Parliament was passed that allowed women to practice law. Not that long ago. You know, it, it, sometimes I feel quite shocked that that would only happen in 1919. And yet when we look today, we have um, a Lady Chief Justice of Northern Ireland. We have our first ever Lord Chief Justice for England and Wales and the second most senior judge in Scotland is also a woman. So change is happening, um, but it's not happening as fast as it should be. And therefore, it needs um, it needs work from the legal profession to identify barriers, remove them and help people progress fairly. So there's that equality of in opportunity. So for women, progress is happening. Um, and of course, in our own court, we had um, Lady Hale as the first ever woman president of the Supreme Court. So that's that's where we are on gender. On minority ethnic 
communities again we're not seeing um, a judiciary that is representative of society at large um, and much more progress needs to be made it we have um, one judge from a minority ethnic background in the court of appeal and you know that's just not where we need to be we need to be in a better place than that and in terms of moving that along is it um what sort of time horizon might one be looking at to to envision a court that is going to be more accurately mirroring reflecting the composition of, of society here in the uk i tend not to put a time on it um what i do is think what can we do each day, each month, each year to help people progress fairly? What can we do to remove barriers? I, I, I want to set the legal profession up to succeed. And, and that's the way we work. We have, we're in year two of a four-year judicial diversity inclusion strategy at the moment. And, and as soon as that's finished, we'll put in another one. So we will just keep going um, until, it's, until it's not needed. Mm. What does that look like, the diversity and inclusion strategy? Because that's great that you have a strategy in place and you have the time horizons and you're already looking at strategic cycles. Well, we try and address the entire career pipeline. So, you know, I've mentioned education. We start at schools and universities and we go through right up to very senior experienced judges because the Supreme Court is not an entry level job. As justice and it comes up it takes time to get there and so we want people to start thinking about it from really early on in their career um one of the we're a very small court you know as i said we've only got 55 staff we've got 12 justices so a lot of the work we do is working in partnership with other organizations so i'll give you a few examples of some of the work that we do we work with a fantastic charity called bridging the bar they work to help underrepresented groups at the bar get into the profession. We set up with them the first ever paid internship at the court. And in year one, we're about to start year three of it, we welcomed eight interns to the court. And they had a week working with our judicial assistants, working with our justices, interacting with staff to really to see the, some of the finest legal minds in the country working and to have an opportunity to discuss points of law with them. And, and also, um, just as importantly, for them to share their experiences with us so we could better understand what does it feel like to be at the start of your career? What does it feel like, um, you know, if you come from, you know, a range of different backgrounds and cultures, where, where are you finding the barriers? When we did follow up feedback with the interns, you know, they talked, one of the most powerful things I heard one of our interns say is, you know, if I feel welcomed at the Supreme Court, if I feel listened to at the Supreme Court, then I know I'm entitled to feel welcomed and listened to anywhere I go in the legal profession. Mm -hmm. that, that is a moment for that person that I hope will be life-changing because it will enable them to walk with confidence and a sense of entitlement through their legal career. And we try and keep you know, permanent connections with, with our interns. They can come back to us. They can meet up with any of us for career advice and having the Supreme Court in their CV, we hope will also give them a leg up in the future. So that's one of our really exciting projects. Um, 
Further down the pipeline, we've run webinars on how do you actually become a Supreme Court Justice? Because let's not assume that people know. Let's tell people if you want to become a Supreme Court Justice, you have to plan it. You have to get a really good wide range of experience in the law. You have to have you almost invariably have to have had some other judicial experience. So it's making it transparent and accessible. And we had a panel with Lord Reed, the president of the court, Lady Rose, one of our other justices, a member from the Judicial Appointments Commission and myself talking practically, how do you do this? And we really went out to representative organizations to encourage them to send their people to really listen. And it was, you know, it was fantastic. We had a really good range of attendees. So we're doing we're doing that. And we've recently become a signatory to Black Talent Charter, which is another amazing organization um, working to get black talent properly represented, you know, in the professions, not just law, but finance and other professions too. And we're going to be running an event with them for black lawyers. And it's it's partly offering that practical assistance it's partly adding our voice to this saying there's a problem and we want to be part of the solution and we offer that sort of leadership um, to you know to the legal profession we started with eight um, bridging the bar interns there's now a hundred of them because now the court of appeal does it now the law commission does it now the high court does it so you know, we have a role to play um, in 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 starting new initiatives to make a difference. These initiatives, these partnerships, these collaborations, uh, do they happen just spontaneously? Do you approach folks and say, look, this is what we'd like to explore with you? Do they approach you uh, and perhaps put things forward uh, for consideration? It's a bit of both. So um, Bridging the Bar approached us and um, as soon as I met them, I knew it was going to be a great partnership because I could see their passion and their integrity. And um, Black Talent Charter just happened to be a personal interaction. I met, I'm a great believer in networks and you yeah. meet someone, I meet someone and I think, oh, that would be brilliant if I put them in touch with so-and-so. I mean, for example, I listened to one of your podcasts and I thought, I know somebody who must listen to that. <laughs> so there's huge power in making connections and communities. And, I, you know, what I always say to people is our door is open. You know, the court's door is open. Walk through it and come and talk to us. Um, and, you know, we had a private venue um, we had a private hire of our venue back in April and it turned out to be the launch of a new organisation called Seeks in Law and as soon as I heard about it, it's like wow, this is an opportunity for us and would you like a justice to come and speak? Would you like me to be there? Like how do we, you know, how do we amplify your voice? How do we, you know, how do we contribute to what you're trying to do? Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Now these uh, justices, these judges, What's it like? I mean, what's it like working with these folks? And are they, <laughs> uh, people probably thinking, you know, are they just like normal people? Do they interact? Do they have the sense of humor that you might have? Uh, yeah, how, how engaged, how approachable, how, what, what's the, that human interaction look like? Well, first of all, I can say, I can assure everybody they are humans. They're human <laughs> beings. Uh, they work ferociously hard you know they work really really hard they are they have some of the finest legal minds in in the country in the world so that it, you know it's 
fascinating to listen to them but very human um in many ways very informal there isn't a hierarchy as between them and our um my colleagues our staff we consider ourselves part of a shared endeavor we work together very approachable and you know and don't forget they do a huge amount of education work so they go out to schools they go out to universities so they're interacting with people all the time and they have that sense you know depending on where you know their career history they'll they will go back to their chambers or back to their inn of court or back to their university so there's a very strong sense of public service amongst the justices on you know they have chosen to join the judiciary from private practice and they care very deeply about the development of law about fairness and and so it's it's a great privilege to work with them and um and they're they're very easy to work with i'm sure it is a great privilege it must be an honor uh to work where you work and do what you do you touched on the building before as well, and there's so much of what you've described so far that involves interaction, you know, making sure that people are actually submerged within this. Um, how can somebody visit the building? You just walk in, do you need to buy a ticket? Uh, what's it look like? What's it feel like? It's a great building. It's a listed building. Um, before it became the Supreme Court, it was actually um, Middlesex Crown Court. And prior to that, it was a local authority building. Um, but it's been renovated to, you know, to turn it into a UK, you know, apex court. But you walk in and you get the warmest of welcome from our security team. One of the most frequent pieces of feedback we get is how welcoming our security team are there. They are absolutely brilliant and they set the tone for all the interactions you have with the court. So it's quite a grand building. It's listed. Um, I think it's easy to walk in and feel a bit overawed by it until you meet the staff and then you realise it's just it's just a very friendly, welcoming uh, building. Uh, there's three courtrooms and they're all quite different in style. We have two that are more traditional looking and we have one very modern um, courtroom as well. So it's very interesting to look at them. Uh, there's artwork and we have an exhibition centre and that's, um, you know, where you can sort of pretend to be a judge and you can interact with cases and where you can learn about the history of the court as well and the cafe, uh, which does fantastic coffee. And not enough people know about the cafe. It's a great place just to have coffee. <laughs> but you do walk in off the street. You don't pay. It's free. Excellent. And uh, if you have uh, younger ones as well, like a, an eight-year-old, would they benefit from this? Or is it for kids who are a little bit older, perhaps, if, if, if you're a parent? I think any age from sort of eight, nine upwards, depending on, on your child. Um, yesterday, there I saw at least three or four families because it's um, during the school holidays. I saw them in the court. And we have a children's art trail so they can fill things in and they can do drawings while they're there. And in fact, um, my dog was in work yesterday, so they got a little stroke of the dog and she shook paws with them. So you never know what's going to happen when you show well, up. how cool. Yeah, I mean, you know, as a parent, you always want the very best for your kids and you want to expose them to many other things. And, uh, you know, you take them to the National Gallery, you take them to the theater if you can. Um, had not thought about taking my kids to the Supreme Court, but now it's firmly on the to-do list. Uh, oh, that'd which... be very welcome. 
absolutely absolutely and what about the logo <laughs> because i know i like the logo of the uk supreme court but it hasn't been there forever because again the court itself hasn't been there forever how did that come around so that was designed very carefully and one of the primary drivers behind the logo was to show that we're a uk-wide court so you will have you've got symbols from all four nations in the logo you have the english rose you have the scottish thistle you have the welsh leek and you have the northern ireland flax flower to represent the linen industry so and you'll see that when you come into the court you'll see that reflected in the carpet and in one of the courtrooms we have a clock made out of welsh slate we have curtains that were designed and made in scotland so it's, the court is so th that representative role is is central to the logo and then around that is the omega sign to show that we are the final court of appeal that this is this is the end point in your in your legal issue i love it it's a great looking logo and in terms of your journey how did you land where you are today i landed with a bit of surprise because i never expected to end up here and certainly at the start of my career the supreme court didn't even exist so it's not something i could have planned for imagined but i started life as a lawyer and i worked as a government lawyer for around 15 years and really enjoyed that i really enjoyed the sense of purpose and I did a lot of drafting of secondary legislation. I think probably my favorite job was working in medical ethics there. And then there came a point where I want, I think I wanted to do something different from law. And that was when I moved to the Electoral Commission as their head of advice and guidance. And that was a fantastic role. Um, the Electoral Commission, part of its role is to regulate finance in political parties and during elections and referendums. And while I was there, I was very lucky to be involved in the Scottish referendum, the 2015 general election, and then the EU referendum. And just seeing how that worked close up was absolutely fascinating. And so I spent four very happy years there. And then I moved to the Independent Parliamentary Standards Authority, first as the Director of Operations and then their Director of Regulation and Insight. That's uh, another regulatory body that regulates MPs' pay and expenses. So I've sort of circled Parliament and politics throughout my career. And that again, one you know, one of the themes was transparency. You're following the expenses scandal, which now some time ago, you know, how do we help people have trust in politicians? And how do we fund politicians fairly um, so that they can do their job and serve their constituents and contribute in parliament? And there were another two general elections while I was there, um, and also equally interesting. And while I was there, that was when I saw the role at the UK Supreme Court. And I sort of looked in and thought, that looks amazing. Somebody's going to be very lucky if they get that job. And I just kept looking. And then I thought, I'll just give it my best shot. And and here I am, you know, so nearly three years into the job and literally loving every minute of it. Absolutely. And now when you saw that opportunity for a chief executive of the UK Supreme Court, did you even know that that was a post? Did you know before you read that, did you know that there was such a thing? Uh, no, I didn't really. <laughs> and you're a lawyer working within government circles for, for, for yeah, yeah, yeah. So our job of raising awareness of the court and its role is not complete yet. I think that's what I learned from that. 
I, I'd love to ask you for a key takeaway. What's that one thing you'd love for the audience to keep in mind after they finish listening to today's episode? Well, I'm going to break your rule and give two briefly. Um, Excellent. My first one is do stuff that you believe in. Um, know what your values are and what's meaningful to you and and just and build your life around that because I think that's the way to have the most satisfying career and and life as well. And my second is find a community. Find a community to be part of, you know, whether that's a work community or a sport or faith community or a charity or your neighbours. To me, this is really central to the way I live my life. And I think it provides a sense of belonging. And I think we are happiest when we feel part of something bigger than us. You know, and if you're part of a community, you're valued and you're contributing and when you're in a community, you, you can get bigger things done than when you're on your own. I love it. I love it. Vicky, thank you so very much for joining me and joining us on the Do One Better podcast today and for shedding so much light on a side of, uh, of the legal world most of us did not know existed. Uh, so it's fascinating conversation. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Perfect. And that's a wrap. Thanks very much for tuning in. As always, you've been listening to a great chat with Vicky Fox, Chief Executive Officer of the UK Supreme Court. For information about this conversation and more than 200 other interviews and case studies with remarkable leaders in philanthropy, sustainability, and social entrepreneurship, just visit our website at lidji.org. That's L-I-D-J-I.org. Please click that subscribe button and follow us if you're not doing so already. And do leave us a rating and a review. It helps others to find this show as well. Thoroughly enjoyed producing today's episode for you, and I will catch you this coming Monday.